seasons of Breaking Bad at this point. I've now seen seasons one, two, and three, and no spoilers. And uh, we are going to be talking about season three here today, and Kevin Ford is my co-host, and Kevin, um, I will say that since the last time we recorded, things have uh, have changed a great deal in the world. We sure do have a lot more time to watch Breaking Bad, at least. We certainly do. And Kevin, here's the thing. This is what I've been thinking about. You know, I was the, the relevance of Breaking Bad. I just don't see what the relevance of a show about the wonkiness of the healthcare system and just how awful insurance companies are. I'm not seeing the relevance to our current times. So I guess the show's kind of passe. Hmm. Well, if you're not seeing the relevance to it, um, you apparently are watching much different news networks than I am. <laughs> Perhaps I, I, I've only been watching Fox News, Kevin. That is the only television network that I watch these days. Wow! Because I okay. know they are distributing the truth. The truth tellers, Kevin. You're, we are getting a lot of great spring salad recipes right now, instead of some other hard-hitting news that they should be reporting on. Then. All right. Uh, so as you, as Kevin and I are, are quarantined, uh, we have joked that this is this is the moment that our lives have been building to, where we can literally just sit around, watch TV, and podcast about that TV. This is this is our moment, Kevin. This is it for us. I suppose it is. We'll we'll take advantage while we can. But yeah, I guess that's that's all there really is to say. But uh, what a season of Breaking Bad. Kind of um like in my mind, it's like a a, a bridging season between like. The feel of season one and two versus the feel of four and five are pretty different. And three kind of is that transitioning season to get us there. You'll see kind of what I'm talking about when we watch it. But um, a lot of dynamic changes, a lot of character changes in the season. Really interesting to watch start to finish in a condensed period. I think the part of what makes me such a fan of this season is... They are able to not have Walt and Gus have a huge confrontation. They're not doing anything with Hank and Walt yet, and yet it still felt like a lot was happening in this season, and that is really, really impressive to me because you clearly know where this is all going. You clearly know that Walt and Gus are going to get into a confrontation of some sort, and instead of rushing it, instead of you know, building up for 10 episodes and then the final four episodes are, you know, shoot out at the OK Corral. You basically end up in a situation where they're just building it literally for the entire season. And even in the last episode, you don't quite know what is going to happen between Gus and Walt. And I think that that is tremendously impressive to me because I think there are a lot of shows that would try to get away with this in in different ways. And there, there are just so many aspects of this season that I respect. The fact that it feels like every episode has something going on in it. And I never felt like I, I, I never watched an episode of Breaking Bad and felt like, well, that 45 minutes or so was a waste of time. There was at least one scene 
or individual moments or even entire episodes where I felt like this was really important. This really either developed the characters. It was a really great individual episode of television. And legitimately, there are four episodes from this season that I could very easily consider to be my favorite. Yeah, I guess the individual episodes stand on their own. There is maybe like one in the beginning or maybe one towards the end where I'm like, ah, this feels like it serves better as its own individual episode than it serves the season. But but you're right. There's at least like a scene or something going on that doesn't make it a complete waste of time. Um, But I did feel like it took a little bit of time to kind of get going. But once it did, uh, probably by episode three or four. Really, it just it just really didn't stop. And even the beginning of the season and end of the season feel so different from one another. So we're going to go kind of go character by character, as we always do. I do feel like, Kevin, we almost have to do Walt and Skylar together because it feels like so much of their track is laid down together. There are certainly some scenes with Skylar and Ted that we can get to. Mm-hmm. But it, it very much feels like their scenes are, are very tied. Very much so. And I think Skylar's character progression in this season is one of my favorite things of the season as a whole. I really like that uh, we still come into the season where she's left Walt to go live with Marie and Hank. Um, and Walt's off to live at his own, his own apartment now. But he tries to take back over the house. And... In some respects, she's powerless, so she goes and she has her own little affair with Ted, her boss, who we saw that was developing some feelings for her and vice versa in season two. And that changes their dynamic. But then she kind of gets on board with not getting back together with Walt, but she sees the benefits to her family to have all that money that he earned because he he puts all his cards out there with the with the duffel bag of money. And she uses her accounting smarts to one kind of screw Walt over and take some of that money to help pay for Hank when he gets hospitalized later. But then she also decides, you know, maybe it's in the best interest of the safety of both herself, Walt and their family. If she kind of gets involved in this money laundering herself and gets the idea of purchasing the laundromat or I'm sorry, the car wash that Walt used to work for. So she's not directly getting involved with it, but she is she is aiding at least in the money handling this because if she's going to spend it, she wants to make sure it's as clean as possible and there's no way to link it back to Walt's dealings. And I do think at the end of the day, she does see that Walt really cares about his kids and really cares about her and really wants this money to go to them, but she wants to make sure it's done the right way. Um, but you're right. It's it's. I I find it very commendable how they didn't have them kiss and make up and just have them go back to where they were at the beginning of the season. And yet they were able to keep them tied together so well, as you mentioned. Yeah. And I think it starts right from the first episode. I mean, the fact that Skylar basically figures it out and she knows, I think is really, really impressive to me. And they have this huge conversation and, I, I think that's that is that is so important to her development because there are a lot of shows where I think the life is kind of the dunce. And when people talked about the show, that is that's kind of how Skylar 
was portrayed in in some of the writing and some of the ways that I thought about the show. I mean, it's like she was walking around in a dunce cap saying, "Hi, I'm Skylar White, and I'm the biggest idiot ever." And it just it's it it's not like that. And I I really admire the fact that they they go all the way with Skylar and with Walt as well. The fact that they 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 have this this true back and forth. Uh, between them and the way that things develop with the car wash is fascinating because that car wash was basically like a diversion in season one and here it is two seasons later a couple months after these events and they're bringing it back and you have to give a show a lot of credit for 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 maintaining those small details those are the things that i really admire because that's something that you could just easily forget about and you know, Marie's shoplifting has kind of been forgotten about, but this is something where they bring it back and it makes sense. And you could totally understand why they would say, oh, this is the perfect way uh, to launder money. And it's probably something that that could potentially work. So I just I really love that part of it. And even going back toward the the beginning of the season, there are a lot of these early, very intense conversations between Walt and and Skylar and Skylar kind of looking to develop her own agency as a person and one of the ways of course that she does that is by by having sex and making coitus with Ted and and Kevin I know that you really love that happy birthday song last <laughs> season still still awful but I will say the ending of of episode three which I always joke because it's, it's titled IFT and I imagine someone watching that at the beginning being like IFT what the hell is that you get later in the episode you're like they still haven't really addressed what IFT stands for and then in the end of the episode I fuck Ted drops and you're like ah that's what it stands for Yes, the agency I, uh, the agency of her is 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 really great. Go ahead. I, w- I was gonna say that it is it is not better than which one as a quote, but it it definitely is uh, the number two quote in my heart as far as just great moments because they they clearly imply something happens between them, but they don't show anything. And I was very curious to know, well, why did they show it? And they clearly did that because they wanted that moment of the audience and Walt basically officially finding out at the same time that it happened. And it's a, it's a really it's a really great moment because Walt's face is this combination of shock, anger, horror. I mean, there's just there's so much in his face, and and Brian Cranston shocker is is just absolutely tremendous uh, throughout the season. I think. Um, both he and Aaron Paul, I think this is, this has to be their best season thus far, especially Brian Cranston. I think Walt as a character doesn't interest me as much as some of the others do at times, but Brian Cranston's performance just always carries the day. And I definitely want to get into some of those individual moments in the next minute or so, um, where I feel like he really, really excelled. Well, I mean, there's a reason why he won. The uh, this is his third year in the row, I believe. He won the uh, the Academy Award for for acting. It's because he's so great in the show, and I think it's not only a great moment of of Skyler taking away some power from from him, but I think that's such a crucial part of the Walt character. Is he likes having control, he likes being able to maintain, and when you take something like this that's totally out of his hands and he has no control over, it very much frustrates him. The other thing I like about her suggesting the laundromat, especially when 
he's like, oh, I have it under control. I have a guy. And then they go and she meets Saul Goodman. And she's like, really? This guy? Like, that's your guy? Is It goes to show that Walt's a very smart person, a tremendous chemist who's able to make this great product. Uh, he's able to think in the moment very well, and he's able to to react quite well. But big picture stuff and some future stuff, he doesn't give the attention it deserves, and that's a flaw. And that's something that Skyler can compliment him on, not only monetarily, but thinking like, okay, this is your plan, but what if X, Y, and Z? And just getting these questions annoys him, but it also annoys him because I think it reveals he didn't put as much thought into it as he probably should have. He kind of assumes things are going to be okay, and when they turn out not to be okay, he reacts and 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 acts accordingly. But that's that does not suffice for Skyler, who's thinking more big picture and thinking about way down the line if something were to come back and bite them. Um, and I think that also is is nice to have that those different complementary uh, characteristics between the two of them. So you're saying that men think really well in the moment and they can be really precise, but they ultimately don't think long term and women think really well in the long term. Tell me more. Well, I'm not going to say all men think so great in the moment. I mean, there's definitely some heat of the moment moments that uh, that don't go so well for, for Walt and many others. Certainly not. Um, one of the things that season two, de- season three deals with is the ramifications of the crash. And I like the fact that they dwelled in it and they didn't just kind of move on very quickly and do some sort of a flash forward. I mean, you definitely feel you get the impression that this is it's not quite a 9-11 like event, but it's definitely something that affects is affecting everyone. You see many people wearing the ribbons of and kind of symbolic of what's happening. It is worth noting that both Walt and Jesse are not wearing the ribbons, and I'm sure that was a that was a very specific choice. Perhaps most amusingly to me is the fact that Saul Goodman is wearing a ribbon because because of course he is. Of course, Saul Goodman would be wearing this ribbon, but, but in that first episode, you know, Walt is very clearly going through something. There's an attempt at burning some of the money and then deciding not to and almost burning himself in the process. We, we see him try to give this speech at the assembly and you see him in that moment trying to kind of justify his own actions. And kind of the same thing happens uh, later on when he talks with Jesse and it's, it's very much the situation where Walt is trying to justify his own behavior because I mean, he is not directly responsible for the crash, but his actions certainly set in motion the fact that this this crash happens. And by the end of the episode, he decides that he no longer wants to be a criminal and shakes hands with Gus because of it. I love the scene in the high school where he's supposed to be giving this speech to make the students feel better. And it really just doesn't work. Um, That's one of my favorite scenes from the show. Um, A fun fact, too, is the girl in the audience who asked the question like how would god let something so terrible like this happen that is brian cranston's real life daughter so they got her involved in the show for that scene which makes it which is a nice little uh easter egg for people watching but yeah that scene especially in the beginning where he goes on and on and gets he he goes from trying to make people feel better to like well you know it's not so bad in the grand scheme of things because you have this this and this and just totally like not reading the tone of the room correctly or really just not caring and and didn't even want to speak in the first place uh, makes for, I think, a a really great moment in the show. And then episode two probably has Walt at his uh, at his worst. 
as we say to him, be a complete asshole to a police officer to the point where he gets pepper sprayed. And then at the end of the episode, perhaps one of the most iconic moments in the history of the show, when he tries to bring a pizza home for his family and the pizza, he gets so angry that the pizza somehow ends up on the roof. And that might be the best physical performance ever because uh, there's almost no way to get a pizza on the roof like that. And it just, it's, it's, it's a moment of hilarity of, of seriousness. And it unfortunately has gotten to the point where people who live in that home now have told people to stop throwing pizza on the roof because it's something that people do. And yes, don't do that. People don't do that. Not, not just the owners, but law enforcement had to get involved because so many people would throw pizzas on the roof of that real life house, which they rented out from a, an older couple who was thrilled to be involved and happy to lend out their home. And this is how they get repaid by breaking bad fans, because I do believe there is a tour you can take in New Mexico of the of the scenes. So uh, don't come back afterwards and throw pizza on the roof. People come on. They were they were nice people that them film in the house. But yes, I would say one of, if not the most iconic moments in the show, perfectly executed by Brian Cranston. No, no special effects needed. No practical effects needed. Just one man whipping a pizza onto a roof. And, and of course, one or two episodes later, start like starting from like after the first opening comes back from commercial and he has a ladder and he props up and he has to climb to the roof to get the pizza down. Just, just really good stuff. Lots of good comedic moments. You mentioned the the pepper spray one too was a a good laugh at Walt's expense. Well, and the comedic bits keep on coming as Walt eventually tries to move his way back into the house. He also tries to confront Ted in what is genuinely the funniest. <laughs> it might be the funniest moment of the season because all he keeps saying is that he wants to talk to Ted and he very clearly is not going to do that. And it gets to a point where he's trying to lift the plant. And as soon as I mentioned that I had seen this moment, Kevin, why don't you describe the uh, the meme, I guess you said, or the screenshot? Yeah, it's a screenshot of the point where he's he's crouching over in the lobby of uh, Benneke's uh, business and trying to break into his office. And he's trying to lift this very heavy plant. And of course he's getting the attention of many people and Skylar comes and asks what he's doing. And as he's squatting down to try to, to pick it up, he's saying, I'm trying to talk to Ted or I am talking to Ted. And then even the, the moment where he throws the plant at the, the, the window, but the windows made out of like plexiglass or something. And so it just crumbles to the ground and smashes and goes everywhere. Yes, genuinely one of the most funny moments of the season, for sure. And in another scene from this episode is one of the creepiest moments. And one of the things that I realized in season one is the person that they cast as the principal was a very attractive young woman. And I knew that they they did that for a reason, and I knew something was going to happen. And... When I saw them having their scene, I knew that this is kind of what they were building up to. And of course, Walt very awkwardly tries to kiss the principal and he gets fired for it. And justifiably so. I think there, there, there definitely is a point in this series when they have to separate Walt from the high school because there's no possible way that he can continue to be involved in the drug trade while also being a teacher during the daytime, especially with where they're going and the amount of drugs that he gets asked to produce by Gus. And I think that it's, it's a really smart move. And I think they, they probably did it the best way possible by Walt continuing to be the worst person in the world. 
Well, and he didn't get fired. He got put on permanent sabbatical. So I think even he's at the point with the relationship with the principal who can chalk it up to maybe the the stress of the crash plus his chemo plus everything going on to maybe him having bad judgment. And so they don't even fire him. I think him being uh, a chair of a department and all this stuff makes them think, you know, oh, maybe he's going through a bad time and maybe later when he's more mentally better, we can bring him back. So in some respects, he he's not like a disgraced teacher leaving the school. There's some face they are saving for him. And now he has a little bit of freedom to go and as and dedicate himself and his entire time to the to the cooking that he needs to get done where the real money is being made. Absolutely. And I think that one of the things that I really appreciate about this season is the way that they shift completely away from Tuco and kind of the stereotypical way the cartels are often portrayed um, with them being very loud and kind of going in this, this very specific direction. And with this season, all of the, the kind of the antagonists, I'm not going to say the bad people because everybody is kind of some degree of bad on this show. I mean, look at the name of the title for God's sakes, but they, they go in a much more subtle and quiet direction by, by having Gus be this legitimate business owner, and we see him as a legitimate business owner in season two, and we even get to see a, a little bit in season three. But we, we also see that Gus knows exactly what he's doing, and we see him making significant power plays throughout the season and kind of using Walt's ability as a chemist to, to forward his own goals of becoming this giant cartel and where he does not have to rely on on mexico bringing up meth anymore and kind of taking over the local dealers and things like that and it's it's really great to me because i think whereas i did not like tuco at all i really like us and the way and this the scenes with walt are probably some of the best of of the series because they're not yelling at each other. It, things are, are more on the quiet side, and you could just see the wheels turning constantly. And they, they these two guys clearly do not trust each other, and they both have varying degrees of power. And I, I think their relationship is one that I, I'm very curious to see where it goes in season four. But in season three, the way that they portray it with kind of this back and forth, the negotiating and the way that Gus kind of ropes Walt back into it and Walt's kind of responding and doing what he does and eventually getting to the point where Walt has to make a choice between Gus and Jesse. And we kind of know where that where that goes. But their relationship is just one of the highlights of the show for me. Oh, most definitely. And I think you again see sort of a shift with who's who's perceived by the audience as the good guy and the bad guy in that situation by the end. But you also get a great look at how Gus deals with uh, like Juan Bolsa, the drug lord, who he ends up having ordered to be killed in his home. Uh, his relationship with Hector Salamanca, uh, how he deals with with Walt, because I think not only does Walt want to be the best uh, you know, not dealer, but creator of the drug there. Gus wants to also be the one on top. And so I think there's some, uh, there, there's a, there's a, a general sentiment that they share that makes them good to work together on paper. But there's, 
too much turmoil with them and their relationships externally that it comes to the point where you see that Gus needs to get rid of Walt and tries to supplant him. And even it even feels to me like at the start of the season, you have the Salamancas want to kill Walt as retribution for him killing Tuco. And Gus is able to say, you don't get to do that until I am done with him. And so it almost feels like he's keeping him roped into the game a little bit, not only for his own production, uh, but also because he knows as long as I have Walt on the hook, he stays alive. And that obviously changes a lot between that and the end of the season. And it sets up a nice table for where we're going to go in season four, because we're clearly not done with Gus and Walt by the end of the season. Not everything wraps up nicely. And it, and that's definitely something I'm really excited to see with season four. Yeah. And I think the other, the other thing, and we're going to come back and talk about kind of Jesse's role in episode seven, which might be one of my favorite episodes of, of the show, but just the way that Walt reacts to Hank being shot and kind of taking control of things. And I think both Walt and Skyler take advantage of that situation and kind of forward their own needs, especially Skyler. I mean, this is kind of the point when Skyler makes the choice that they are going to launder money and Skyler in a, in a great moment comes up with this, with this gambling scheme. And I think it does a really good job of, of justifying how they've been able to afford things and why they are going to be able to, to pay for Hank's medical care. Because as always, Kevin, the insurance companies, they are the worst. And even though Hank is, Hank was shot and the way that it is portrayed within the context of the show is that Hank basically shot these two members of a cartel and he's this hero, but yet the insurance company is not going to give him the best care. And we can come back and talk more about that when we talk about Hank. But as, as far as Walt goes, you know, I think it, it kind of repositions him in a different way with his wife and they're not going to get divorced. And I think Walt starts to, to feel the pull of, of what's happening and realizing that maybe he can't trust Gus and maybe this situation is, is not going to work out as well as he would have hoped. And this, despite the fact that while he starts in the new lab, uh, because he gets a brand new lab, which is one of the more impressive sets uh, on the show. And I'm really glad that they did a great job of really building up that lab because there is a, a specific episode that we're going to get to in a couple minutes where that, that lab becomes an essential point of the entire the entire episode. Yeah, and I, that's something I, I kind of forgot, too, that changes their relationship and what makes Skylar so um, – so dead set on making sure the money is clean when it gets spent is because she puts it together that the reason Hank got attacked by this cartel is because Walt put him in the danger. Puts it in that way too. I think if Walt in his head, the best case scenario was he makes a bunch of money, he dies and his family has to spend and it didn't really work out that way. But now I, and, and I think he's okay taking some licks for the damage he causes, but now he's seeing the effect it has on his extended family. Although he does say in that one scene, he tries to, you know, say, Oh, they're not my family anymore. This is before he gets shot. Um, but now he's seeing the scope of his actions and how they can 
reflect on his family. And he obviously puts it together when he knows um, when he when when the, he realizes it was the the cousins who put the attack on it, then later sees the other cousin in uh, the ICU. Um, so, yeah, that adds a whole that that makes a lot of changes in their relationship, too. And it does make him realize how Gus views him. Because, like you said, they built he gets this gorgeous lab uh, under the under the front of this laundromat that is built for him. So no more RV cooking, a very professional outlet where everything is provided to them. They just come in, they cook, they, they, they punch in, they punch out. And that's that. They're just there to cook. So a lot of that legwork is taken away from them. But it is at the expense of not having their freedom, um, not being the ones to to. They, they there's just a lot of leverage with price and all this other stuff that's taken out of their hands. Um, but it it gives that air of professionalism that I think both Walt and Gus want out of an operation like this. They want to bring the professionalism to a very unprofessional and typically seedy sort of outfit. And that's how, again, it all seems on the surface. But this gives an indication to Walt like, hmm, I, I see how Gus truly sees me now. And you mentioned the professionalism, and part of that is giving him a new partner as we see the introduction of a brand new character as Gail, played by the great David Costable. David Costable is one of those guys who has been in a number of movie and television shows. Like so many people on Breaking Bad, he's he's kind of that guy. And I think some people will probably recognize him. He plays Wags on Billions. He was also on the television show Damages. He's done a number of other things. And just like so many other characters on Breaking Bad, they, they kind of go the opposite of what you think in that Gail seems like a very personable, boring coworker. And I think they're, they're making a conscious effort to make him this boring, I'm, I, I don't even know if boring is the right word, but just very average, normal, like what you would think of as being normal and the way that he behaves. And there comes a point when he messes something up and Walt wants him to go. And even though Jesse is a complete fuck up and Jesse is a fuck up. uh, And I think this is best represented. I mean, there's a lot of ways that Jesse messes up, but perhaps his, his finest moment is when he blows air into his hazmat suit (laughs) and, and is just, just being the worst. That's another great comedic moment is him just trying to kill time uh, bored in the lab because Walt is busy handling Hank at the hospital and he can't, tend to things and I guess he's either not trusted to be left to his own devices or I think that's like his first day in lab so he's not really acclimated to how it works but yeah him just being bored and playing with like the the office chairs and and the hazmat suits and stuff is a really great scene I'm very surprised you did not mention the wire or fly the concords for um, David Costable I actually forgot that David Costable was on the wire I was thinking about that and I couldn't quite remember because, I mean, again, the guy has just been on so many different shows and movies. And there's going to be other that guys that I'm going to talk about, including uh, a friend slash Seinfeld character on the show that I'm really excited to talk about. But I think we do need to continue talking about Walt's story because, of course, him being the main character, there's just so much going on. And I I specifically want to get into episode nine because – there's a there's a really interesting moment um, where Walt has this conversation about Gus, and they kind of lay it out about what's happening and the way just with how calm Gus is and the way that he lays everything out. 
And then almost immediately after, we get this scene of Walt. I, I guess the best way to describe it is a suicide attempt. He tries to almost drive his car into a truck. And it's very much one of these moments where Walt is unhappy with himself and he's realizing just how out of control things are. And there's uh, there's, there's that moment of him considering suicide. Yeah. I, I think the way I read it was he's obviously in a very, bad place and he's like do i even care if i die right now like if i just close my eyes and let go and there's a semi truck coming at me will i care to snap out of it and even move and eventually if he, he obviously does um but i think like you it's so crazy to think but with all the stuff he's gone through maybe it, it takes something the level of a near-death experience to get himself to get woken up right and this is episode nine and I think we're going to come back to episode 10 and we can kind of talk about Jesse's Kafka esque is the name of episode nine. Kafka esque. Yeah. I mean, they definitely name dropped in the, in like the, the narcotics anonymous meeting and Jesse's like, yeah, yeah. Yo, it's like Kafka esque. Like he knows what that means. I love your Jesse impression. I think we need more of that on the show. You thought that, uh, that Aaron Paul got on the, the microphone for a second, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I was going to start asking about the new season of Westworld after that, but I mean, it just it really fooled me there, Kevin. Uh, So episode 10 is what is what is the overall feeling on episode 10? Because this is a bottle episode. And for those who don't know what a bottle episode is, it's basically when you take your main characters and you put them in one location for an entire episode. And we had a similar bottle episode when it was just Jesse and Walt at the RV and my logic for doing a bottle episode is you're trying to save on budget. So, Kevin, tell me what you know about The Fly, and then I'll get into uh, the director of this episode is, is one of my favorite filmmakers. So I'll talk about that if you give your thoughts on The Fly. So The Fly is, I would say, one of the more polarizing episodes. As you, the director, it doesn't seem to shake the polarization stuff later in their career, as it turns out. Um it's it's an episode that mostly involves if you boil it down is Walt is very bothered by a fly in the laboratory and he's spending a lot of time trying to kill it like they can't even resume cooking until this fly is taken care of. And it's mostly it, it feels like it's a stage play more than anything between him and Jesse. And so from the perspective of building a relationship between Walt and Jesse. And and to me, there's a lot of character rehab with Walt and Jesse in this show. Um, I think we almost reached a point in season two where they went so far with Walt, it almost made you not like him anymore. And I think season three did a lot of reeling that back in. And to me, even seeing him at the end of the episode, near the end of the episode anyways, when he's holding the ladder for Jesse so he can climb up to try to get the fly, and he apologizes for Jane's death. Now, he doesn't lay all his cards on the table about being there, and and in some respects, in some people's minds, uh, that that he was somewhat responsible for, for not allowing her to live, um, but he does feel remorse for this, and I think Jesse is really touched by this. I think where the polarization comes in, and I kind of feel the same way, I do like this episode a lot. I think as it viewed as a, a singular episode of a show, it, it plays very well. I think the polarization comes in is that 
it's dropped at the in the middle of a season, and a lot of people were like not were not happy that the season kind of took a pause so they could do this one act one off stage play with not much going on in the plot aside from the the play between Jesse and Walt. And it was like they took a pause so they could do uh, their artsy fartsy episode and pat each other on the back for just how great of writers and directors and editors they are. And are we so great? And yeah, we'll get back to the the stuff people actually want to see the next episode. So I think that's where the polarization is. It's not a bad episode, but you're watching it and this comes on and you're waiting for the next chapter and then it's over and you're like, what the hell was that? Why did I, why did I watch this episode? Why is it coming in, in this part of the season? I think that's more where it comes from. Less so much the quality of the episode, but just like the annoyance of we're just going to pause the plot so we can do our own thing for an episode. See, but to me, if if you don't do this episode and if you don't rehab the Walt and Jesse relationship, then Walt's actions in episodes 12 and 13, then they don't make sense. That to me is is the fundamental problem is that. Walt has to have a reason for doing and taking these big actions where he ultimately chooses to extricate himself from the Gus situation. When things, when push comes to shove and the, the, and the boy gets murdered, Walt has to make a choice. And if it was not for the fact that he and Jesse bonded throughout uh, that episode of the fly, then the rest of the the season would not make sense. And we would be wondering why in the hell is Walt sacrificing himself or potentially giving something up in order to save Jesse. So for me, I think this episode works. And I think if you put it within context of doing a binge versus the week to week model, I think that also affects your viewpoint on this because it was one of those things where, you know, I watched episodes nine, 10 and 11 and it was like back to back to back. I can't imagine kind of going week, week to week. I can see why someone might be frustrated, but, I think when you are watching the show consecutively, I don't see as much of a problem because it's it, you are interrupting the story to, in, in a sense, but I think you're interrupting it for a good reason so that you could pay it off later and you can build up some of the relationship stuff. And, you know, a lot of a lot of directing in on TV shows is is not it, it does not get the credit that it deserves in some cases. One of the things that I really love about Breaking Bad is just the filmmaking in general. I think it is of a, a very high quality, even though it is a basic cable show and you can see the budget constraints. I think they do such a good job in the overall sense of creating different atmospheres and doing different things with the filmmaking and changing POVs. And, you know, there are moments mm. in the first episode when we get introduced to the to the cousins, as they are called, and just the way that they saturate the colors. I, I love those moments because it makes the show look distinctive. I love the way that the show will sometimes use black and white and the way that they film the flashbacks in different ways to, to really change the way that you see the show. And episode seven specifically, I mean, that action, it basically becomes an action movie. Episode seven, the end of it, where Hank go, kills the cousins. 
it becomes this incredible action scene. And that's not something that you see a lot on TV. And I think you have to give a lot of the credit to the writers for being great writers. But I think the directors themselves, one of the co-executive producers for the season is Michelle McLaren. Michelle McLaren is a veteran of TV shows. She's directed episodes of Game of Thrones and numerous other shows. And she specifically directed episode seven. And I think you could tell the high quality of direction in watching that episode because of just how much happens. And I think episode 10 has Ryan Johnson, who of course is the director of the last Jedi, a very polarizing movie in itself, but it's funny to, I mean, in hindsight, you can kind of put these two together. The fact that the last Jedi was very much this character, focused story it was a very small story it, it it definitely was not a bottle episode but within the context of star wars it kind of was this bottle episode and it's so fascinating to me that he also directed this episode which is so much about character and and storytelling and even if you look at it it's funny even if you look at a movie like knives out knives out is a movie that primarily takes place in one location so you can kind of see just based on ryan johnson's history what he is interested in and he really likes to save money by shooting in one location well i think the other thing and i would say this at least with the beginning of fly is that it makes like Walt himself is a self-justifying guy who can be a badass when he wants, but then here he is, and it's like a slapstick comedy with him getting irrational to the point of where he looks stupid. It 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 takes the Walt character like, and it's like I don't know who this Walt is that I'm watching right now until Jesse kind of enters the scene and we get that stuff between them. I love the beginning. I mean, I wrote down that it felt like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Like, all you needed was the sound effect. And even when Walt falls and hurts himself, I mean, that is Wile E. Coyote versus the Roadrunner. I don't know if it was a direct influence, but but that's how it came across to me. And, yeah, I mean, I just really liked episode 10. And then, I mean, just the final three episodes, I think they, they all work to an extent, especially the last two. And you get Walt deciding that he is going to save Jesse and he's he's clearly got all these balls in the air with him trying to convince his wife that or that he is trying to convince Saul that it would be better for them to do a car wash instead of laser tag which I mean it's just of course Saul Goodman will want them to buy a laser tag place I mean it's just so perfect and Bob Odenkirk is a national treasure it almost makes me think like oh does did he get in some sort of like business agreement with the owner. Now he's trying to pass the buck over to Walt or something. Um, something though about episode seven, one minute, which to me is definitely my favorite episode of the season. Uh, Michelle McLaren, that's the episode she was nominated for an Emmy for, for that episode. So wanted to give her credit for that too. Um, but Hey, having that laser tag place at least gave them a place to hide Jesse for those last few episodes. Yeah, every everything matters. The details matter on the show, as I've as I've talked about before. But I mean, just what a moment when you the way that the show sets up tension. I think this is what the show is kind of known for is the way that they will take all these moments, especially toward the end of episodes with Hank and with Jesse. You know that something is going to happen when Jesse is going after the dealers to get revenge. 
and you're building up to this moment and you're wondering what's going to happen. And then Walt seemingly comes out of nowhere with his car and runs both of them over in vicious fashion, grabs a gun, shoots one of them in the head. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that you get to that point and the way that they built things up so well, and then dealing with the ramifications of that. And I mean, the show just builds things so well, the way that they build tension. I know that I'm not breaking any news here, but I just, I really, it, it bears repeating that no show that I've seen has ever built tension and action better than Breaking Bad. Most definitely. And I think up to this point, I think it's obviously very important to note, I still don't think Jesse has killed anybody in the show. So him going to these dealers to kill them, because and this is again what kind of causes the more consternation between Gus and Walt is Jesse starts seeing somebody new from his narcotics anonymous meetings and it starts as a way that he's trying to sell drugs on the side to people from our narcotics anonymous it's this side business he wants to start because he doesn't feel like he's getting his correct cut from the man from from Gus that he's making all the money off of their hard work and he ends up falling for her and it turns out that her brother is tied up. He's he's the same person who shot Combo last season and killed him. And so he's trying to help get her brother out of the cartel game. And Gus agrees in this meeting that they have that, okay, no more kids will be involved. And so those two drug dealers kill him because they don't need him anymore. And so he wants to go kill them for his girlfriend's revenge and this would be the first murder he commits. And then here comes Walt to not only protect him and, and take care of them for him, but it's also like your take. He's already killed. So it's almost, I, you know, what's the, the argument is it's he's already done it. He, it killing somebody else is not going to be as shocking to him, a shock to his system as it's going to be for Jesse, who hasn't done it yet. Not to mention a motor vehicle taking out two guys is just a cool visual. Um, but it's almost like not only is he saving him in that moment, but he's saving Jesse to have to lose his innocence in that respect. Obviously, there's a lot of innocence Jesse has lost, but and that builds to the pivotal last moment in the whole season. But I really find it Skyler would would be a very close second to me from the story arc that Jesse had through all of season three. Right, and at the beginning of season three, Jesse is clean and seemingly trying to get over uh, all of the issues that, that he has been going through, and he slowly gets pulled back into this universe. And I think it's it's very clear to me that this is something they had to do, but there there is always this tragic element of Jesse's story. I think whereas with Walt, they're very clearly going in this Breaking Bad direction, but with with Jesse, they're always adding this twinge of tragedy to it uh, with all of the various moments involving him and Andrea and and the death of her brother. And I think when we talked about the death of Combo, I think we talked about it as if it was this random child. And in and now, a season later, it's it's not a random child. And we get to know a little bit of who he is and his relationship to Andrea's son and the fact that Jesse clearly has an affinity or a soft spot for kids. This is something uh, that we saw in season two. It's something that gets expanded on in season three. I mean, he's basically treating Andrea like a mark. And then 
there comes a point when she admits that she has a child that he kind of wants to get away from this situation and does not want her to get on drugs because he knows the reality of the situation and and what is to come. But I mean, I mean, Jesse just he does he does at least get some winning moments. I I really love the scenes when he is um, when he's in rehab. Uh, the person that they chose to kind of be the leader of the group is an actor by the name of Jerry Burns. Uh, Jerry Burns is a tremendous actor. I don't think have you ever watched Justified, Kevin? No, I haven't. Well, you've got time. Uh, Jerry Burns is spectacular on Justified. That if you watch that show and you watch this, I think you would be very surprised to know that it is the same actor. But uh, Jerry Burns has this monologue in the very first episode uh, where he tells the story about his father or about his daughter uh, and basically being responsible for her death. And it's this really great monologue. And there are certain times when monologues don't work on television shows but i think breaking bad there are just so many this season i could talk about this one i could talk about that one that mike has toward the end of the season talking about being a b-cop but just and and not even the main characters giving them but having these these supporting players just give these important monologues many times to the main characters and really trying to get across the themes and the messages of the show uh, you know, there are some times when rehab scenes can be very trite, and even some of them on this in this season don't work. But I did want to go out of my way to mention that that one in the first episode because it's it's really great, and I think it really helps to push Jesse uh, in a certain direction. Yeah, the leader, as he's credited, does a really tremendous job in those scenes, and I think it's important to point out that Jesse does indeed stay clean throughout the season. He's back into helping Walt create the drugs and then side selling them to try to get a little extra money. Um, and he'll do some recreational stuff maybe with Andrea. And, I, and I'm going to say I loved that her having a kid totally changed his mind going back to season two. I think that's such a great character through line. And it really speaks to somewhat of like the inner child of Jesse Pinkman. But it's right before he's getting ready to kill those two drug dealers. He he snorts some of his own products to kind of like build up that courage again. So that again, kind of conveys the point that he doesn't have the nerve. He doesn't have uh, what is in him to kill, but he knows he has to do it. It's something he wants to do, but he still needs to, to it, it takes him breaking his, his sobriety in that way to even get the courage to get out of the car and go and take care of those guys. So I thought that was a really nice payoff for that too. Um, and, Best I can tell, he goes back to being sober the next episode, and it's not like this one trip is unraveling him before our eyes anyways. Um, but, yeah, it, you get to see him, uh, uh, the soft side of Jesse creep back in as he's able to to get with Andrea and all that, and that he's, while he's a good partner for Walt, there's still a lot of this drug life culture and this cartel culture that's just not in him. Um, and I think that's for the better. And it's something that I think maybe he finds himself in because of Walt. And I think the big thing with Walt in general, and you really see it this season, obviously it's been happening in a couple seasons, is that the show is about him and his cancer. But really, he's a cancer to everybody around him. Like you just look at all the characters in his life and everybody is just worse off and in these miserable states. And a lot of it stems from his actions. And I think he's starting to realize that. And 
here you go. The finale, Jesse has to pull the literal trigger and do the one thing that he hasn't wanted to do this whole time for his sake, for Walt's sake. And who know who's to say that this would have even happened if Walt's in season one had gotten him roped into everything that's been going on up until this point. I do love the idea of Walt being the cancer all along. I think it's, it's the, the figurative metaphor that really works out. And I think we, I think we really see Jesse struggle throughout the season and in a, in a positive way that, that I think really works out for the show, because I think it makes him a much more sympathetic figure. And the fact that he continues to listen to Jane's voicemail over and over again, I love the judicious use of flashbacks throughout the season and uh, the specific one with Jane, I think, works out. I think there's sometimes, again, when flashbacks can be really trite and not necessarily work, especially when there are certain TV shows that will basically use entire episodes as flashbacks, and that can be really frustrating. I'm certainly glad they did not do that here. Generally, they will do them before the uh, before the credits, and... I think it's judicious and I think it's smart and it's those little character moments that sometimes can get lost uh, to the wayside. Uh, a couple of other things that I wanted to talk about with Jesse well, is the fact... Go well, ahead. Be- before you go on, I wanted to mention how much I loved how much they used flashbacks in this season. It's something that if they hadn't used it, bef- they used it very sparingly in the first couple of seasons, but this time they used it quite a bit and I really like the way they did it. Uh, so many amazing openings this season and they not only used it like they used flashbacks to show us stuff that happened long ago, like when uh, Walt and Skyler are, are purchasing the house they now live in, even showing us an old uh, like Poyos Hermanos video to show you how that company started and that very creatively leading into them showing how the drugs are distributed through uh, like the vats of um, the batter and whatnot. But even showing things like how how did uh, did Tortuga get killed last season that basically horror movie opening with the cousins killing that police officer at that home. Um, the Jane one you mentioned, uh, so much good flashback usage in this season. I think like so many other things, breaking bad as they, they utilize it so well, uh, and, and do it really creatively. And it's not all flashbacks that take place in the same time period. They, they go through, all different sorts of periods to get the story across. And I've just, that's something I really wanted to mention was it seems to be a new tool they've utilized in season three. And I think it's was, was done very well. Breaking bad, being able to go back in time and tell stories. I, I cannot imagine that that working out long-term though, Kevin, that's the one thing I'll say. No way. There's no way they could do like a prequel show. That would just never work out. No, never. I mean, that that just would never work, especially because they'd have to break more flip phones. There are a lot of broken flip phones on this season. Yes, there are. I, and I love the my favorite is still the end of episode eight, where uh, Gus is on the phone with Juan Bolsa, the drug lord, and he's shot at his home. And it's Gus who sick them on him. And as soon as he hears the gunshots go off, he breaks the phone and throws it in the garbage can of the Poyos Hermanos parking lot and goes back inside. Yeah, I mean, there, we could just talk about great scenes uh, forever. Another great scene is when Jesse buys the house uh, from his parents. Amazing. It's it, and it's not even necessarily Aaron Paul. It's it's Bob Odenkirk in a tour de force. 
nobody straddles the line between comedic and dramatic better than Bob Odenkirk. I mean, he's just so perfect as Saul because there are so many moments when you're wondering, is Saul really good at his job? And he really straddles that line between being competent and incompetent because he just comes off like such a goofball. And just the way that you see him in different scenes, his suits, uh, it's just, it's wild. But that scene with, uh, with Saul and the parents is... I, it really has stuck out to me just because you really see how competent Saul is at his job and the fact that he, that Jesse ultimately is able to hoodwink his parents. And I mean, it's just it's marvelous storytelling and it, it makes it really makes you understand why they would eventually decide to give Bob Odenkirk his own spinoff, because I certainly think there is an argument to be made that other characters maybe could have gotten away with it. But the personality of Saul Goodman is one that I think is certainly worth exploring. And now I'm I'm even more interested in going back and watching uh, Better Call Saul now. Yeah, that's great to hear because he was fantastic in this. And I can't help but in scenes like this where he helps Jesse purchase the house, think back to something that uh, was stated by the creators of the office when the American office was being made. And they were like, okay, well, what's something that was fundamental to your show that we think we need so on and so forth. And it was, I think both the opinion of, um, of Steven Merchant and, uh, uh, and what's his name? I can't remember the other creator right now for some reason, but, uh, they basically said, you know, you're going to have Michael Scott being this Ricky Gervais. That's his name. They're like, you're going to have Steve Krell's character, Michael Scott, be this, goofball boss or whatever but it's also very important for you to show that he's good at his job um and they want to talk about kind of cultural differences in england and america and all that but it's but they basically said in america you wouldn't have somebody in his position being able to get away with all that he does if he wasn't still good at his job if he wasn't a good salesman and i think that's important for saul too it's like why would they put up with this total carny of a lawyer uh, if he wasn't good at his job. And so you need moments like this. You need moments like the end of the season where he's helping to to get them off the scent of Jesse. Things of this nature um, for him to for, for, to understand why they would still keep him on retainer and still want to work with him. And sure, I'm sure he at this point, he knows too many skeletons in their closet for them to disassociate with. But I do think it's of, of tremendous importance for Saul to show that he actually has a grasp of the law and he's able to to bend it and use it in ways to to get what his people need. And I think scenes like this are not only fun to watch it from a moment of gratification for the viewers, but it's just so important to what Saul brings to the show. And yeah, I, I, I can't say enough good things about Bob Odenkirk. I love that man, love that scene. And something else that I found out from the podcast was the reason I think that they lost they had jesse lose the house is because in real life they lost usage of that house like it got sold or something happened and then they got it back and they were like okay well we'd still like to use that house how are we gonna get back into it and then they came up with this scene with saul assisting jesse with the sale and i think it was all for the best right and uh you know that jesse certainly does have his uh his darker moments as well I'm especially thinking of when he's driving the Winnebago and getting a 
almost getting a random store clerk addicted to meth. That not not one of his uh, better or prouder moments. I think the way that they had to treat that RV and basically having to destroy it, I think, was one of the more fascinating aspects because they they had to they had to destroy it because Hank was hot on their tail and. Nobody, nobody seemingly believes Hank, but Hank knows that something is up and is ultimately uh, proven to be right. We also see Jesse and his pals at the strip club after Walt gives him the money. This is another <laughs> great use of flashback. And I mean, it's just it's comedic, but it's also dark. Um, I, I don't think there's I don't think it's a coincidence that Combo is the one uh, that gives him the use of the RV. I think just reminding people of who Combo is because it's going to become uh, very important uh, later on. And I think we have to talk about uh, the big confrontation at the RV when Walt and Jesse are stuck in the RV and Hank finds them. And that entire scene when when Jesse is very close to getting himself in a lot of trouble and just the performances across the board are really good. But I especially want to mention some great casting. Uh, do you know who Larry Hankin is, Kevin? Uh, I do not. So Larry Hankin plays Old Joe. And Larry Hankin is probably best remembered for his roles on Friends and Seinfeld. I'm not a Seinfeld person, so I'm not an expert on what he did there. But uh, he was the uh, the nosy upstairs neighbor on Friends for the first a couple of seasons. And typically I've been used to Larry Hankin playing these very comedic sitcom-y type roles. But in this show, he's being very dramatic. He's giving monologues. He knows the law better than Hank does. And it's it's really a scene, I, I can't call it my one of my favorite scenes, but it is a scene that stands out for so many reasons because the performances are great. You have this unheralded character actor who's just killing it in a monologue. There's tension because Jesse is close to being discovered and thus Walt is close to being discovered. And the way that they play it out as it continues because, you know, it goes on because Hank gets a phone call about his wife and it becomes this really dramatic moment as the RV gets destroyed. I mean, just uh, it's just great. It is great. And I, I Googled Larry Hank and I remember his face now and I immediately thought that's the guy from Billy Madison. Uh, but now that you mentioned Seinfeld, there was I think it was the season four finale. Essentially, Jerry and George pitched the TV show Seinfeld to NBC. It's about Jerry's life. It's about nothing. And Larry Hankin is who they cast to play Kramer in this show within a show. And he, he works remarkably well uh, visually on that show. So, yeah, Larry Hankin rules. And that whole scene is great. That You talk about tension. That's one of those, like, how in the world are they going to get out of this one kind of scenes? And they do, especially when at this point, man, Hank is hell-bent on avoiding having to go back to El Paso because he's still reeling from that PTSD. But also once he discovers that blue meth is back on the market because of that girl at that convenience store, boy, is he is he laser focused on finding out who this guy is. He, he won't be convinced there's a copycat out there. He knows the real SOB is still out there. He knows Jesse has some ties to him if he's not him and he is just dead set on getting them. So you you have this very scary Hank in this moment. And you're like, how the heck are they going to get out of it? And then here's Larry Hankin to save the day. Um, so yeah, tremendous stuff. So I do want to return to the fly and just kind of talk about Jesse's role. Jesse's the one that gets to kill the fly after 45 minutes of the fly being a pain in their ass. Jesse is in fact the one that gets to 
the guts to kill him. And we also see that Jesse is kind of siphoning off some drugs to uh, for his side business, and this becomes important as uh, as the rest of the season progresses. And we see Jesse form this relationship with Andrea, and Jesse seems like a really intense person to be in a relationship with. That's that's what comes across to me. He seems to fall in love really quickly. He does seem to fall in love really quickly, but like he's look at him. He has those those like puppy dog eyes and that sweet sensibility. I I get it. I get it. Are you saying you would do meth in bed with Aaron Paul? Is that what I would I would one thousand percent not do meth ever. Uh, but if anyone can convince me, it might be Aaron Paul. Uh, another another fun little factoid is when he gets the fly, he's on this ladder that's propped up on like two barrels of whatever. Like it's a very precarious positioning. And they had him wired up just in case he fell, but apparently uh, they did not need to use it. Aaron Paul did not fall when he was in that precarious position. So uh, I just thought that was uh, pretty impressive that that he was able to just do it on his own and uh, no one was hurt. But there was a if he had just been up there to his own devices, everything would have been a okay as well. Right. And of course, Jesse is the person involved in the big cliffhanger as he has seemingly shot Gail in the face, but. We will find out the official payoff to that uh, as we get into season four. But it is I, I think it is worth noting that Jesse is the one that is involved in the big cliffhanger and not Walt, as I think that this slowly what this season has shown is that it is much more of an ensemble piece than I think people give it credit for, that this is not just Walt's story, but that this is the story of Jesse, and a lot of the other characters get get some shine. And we're going to get to Hank in just a second here, but uh, what a great cliffhanger, and you know that it is going to have ramifications. I think there are times when cliffhangers um, can sometimes be a waste of time, but they are, you know that they are clearly building to something and that that cliffhanger is going to matter as they get into uh, the fourth season. Right. So you get to this point where Gus decides he needs to get rid of Walt. They bring back Gail to be his partner and Walt's not stupid. He sees that they're having uh, Gus, Gus's partner oversee the entire process. Gail's asking a lot of questions to fill in the cracks. And I love the scene where Gus goes to Gail and says, you know, Walt has this, this cancer he's suffering from so he can go any day. So we really need to know, and we can't afford to stop production. So we need to know that if Walt, you know, when he, if he's out of the picture, like you'll be able to pick up where he left off right away. And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, I can do it. So now Gail starts asking a lot of questions about the process that he's not aware of tiptoeing around his, his illness. But Walt knows what's up. He's like, okay, they're trying to groom Gail to take over for me so they can get rid of me. And so the only choice they have is to then to get rid of Gail, the poor guy. Um, They pick up on this and uh, Mike takes him to the laundromat. And so Walt can't go and kill Gail himself. It has to be Jesse to go do it. And meanwhile, they're on the goose hunt for for Jesse as well to kill him. Uh, And yeah, it has to be Jesse who gets there and he's all tears and he's trembling and he doesn't want to do it. And, he, you know, the trigger gets pulled and we go to the credits and, yeah, just an amazing cliffhanger. Everyone's put in the right place where it has to be Jesse. It can't be anybody else. Uh, it's it's just done so well. And now you have a whole new situation with, with Gus and, and Walt. And uh, really, I think one of the bigger takeaways from the season two is that we learn Mike works for Gus and not for Saul. 
and he uh, he has a lot of instrumental communication between uh, Walt and uh, Gus as well as like the intermediate, even the the whole line about take no half measures, which is why he ends up killing those drug dealers. Um, and he's like, yeah, that's not really what I meant. So, yeah, awesome ending to the season that was like, man, I really got to pause before doing this podcast. Can I not just play season four, episode one right now? Well, we'll so we'll be able to do that soon enough. As soon as we press record again and stop the recording, we can both go do that and uh, and figure out and identify exactly what happened. But I want to go backwards and talk about Hank because they do a lot with him and they do a little bit more with Marie. I think the things that the big headlines for me is the fact that Hank is dealing with PTSD throughout the season. He has become obsessed with Heisenberg and the idea of the drug dealer, and he is using this to compensate for the fact that he does not want to go back to El Paso. I think it's, you know, we talk about Walt wanting to be in control. It seems to me like Hank does not have control in El Paso, but if he stays local and if he stays in kind of his unit, he is able to maintain this control that simply would not exist. And it's, it's slowly building up. He does not want to communicate. He doesn't want to talk to anyone. But we see these random fits of anger and tears at certain points, and we get to a point where Marie is at talking to Skylar about what's going on with Hank, and it builds to this moment when when Hank, after uh, the scene at the RV, where he literally just goes and physically assaults Jesse because he believes that Jesse is is the person that kind of faked him out, and... I mean, it just it leads to episode seven, which is my favorite of the season, both because there are two incredible monologues given by Aaron Paul. And we see Jesse kind of take some agency back and we see him kind of become Walt's equal in some ways. But it's also great because we see we see Hank taking responsibility for his actions. And this is something that he really has not done before. We've kind of seen him be the jokester. We've seen him blow things off, but it's in this episode when he finally decides to take responsibility. And you know that when he does that, something bad is going to happen. And boy, does something bad happen as the cousins come after him. And it leads of course, to this, this incredible action scene where he is able to take out both of the cousins, but what a season uh, for Hank as it's it's obvious that we are building to a point where Walt and Hank are going to be playing a cat and mouse game. But you you can't do that. Once you initiate that, then that is the end game for the series. So uh, the fact that they were able to find things for Hank still to do and to keep it interesting and not make it feel like a waste of time, I think is a real credit to the writers. 100%. And it and it's a very natural way to take Hank off the board momentarily because he's literally uh, unable to move. He loses his uh, use of his legs because of some gunfire and it's going to take a really long time for him to rehab as we see. But I also think there's little things like when he doesn't go to El Paso, but instead Gomez, his partner, gets sent. There's something in his face that makes, even though he didn't really want to go, he doesn't really like that someone else was able to be put in that place instead of him. I think it's, you get in this place with anyone's job where you feel like you're so important and you're so good that the world would stop if you if your cog was taken out of the machine. And then suddenly he d- doesn't do it and he has his case at home he wants to deal with. And then Gomez gets picked and I think it breaks his heart a little bit. So 
maybe I'm thinking too much into that, but that's kind of the impression I got. He's happy for Gomez. He's happy he doesn't have to go, but he still can't help feel a little twinge of jealousy about it. And yeah, everything you said is spot on. And I know we talk about this, this, the gravitas of Hank and everything going on here, but I had one of the biggest laughs for the season of me was Marie and how she convinced him to, uh, to move from the hospital to go back home. So in the first season, we had a sad hand job between <laughs> Skyler and Walt, and this was an angry hand job. I mean, that's the best way that I can classify it, but uh, what what a tremendous moment is Marie is able to convince Hank by uh, by uh, feeling him down there and uh, eventually convincing him. And the way that they do it, they, they immediately cut from Hank's face slowly becoming aroused to him angrily being taken out in a wheelchair <laughs> holding a box. And you will not you will not find a better jump cut than than something like that. So uh, what a great comedic moment. And. I, I think we've both been fairly critical of Marie in the first two seasons. This is probably her best season as well. And she doesn't get that much to do necessarily, but she also, similar to a lot of other supporting characters, uh, she gets to ream out people in uh, in episode eight. She gets to ream out the bosses for not being there. She reams out Steven Gomez. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really great moment because I think it's it's a bit unexpected because Marie has never we've never seen her behave in that way. But I think it's also important to have her play such an important role because she is Hank's wife. But she has even though she has been with the with the show since the beginning, she really has not gotten a lot of attention. She really has not gotten a lot to do. And the fact that they do give her a lot more to do, I think, is a, is a good thing. And what we learn is that despite everything going on and despite Hank kind of being a dick she really does love her husband despite all of that and maintains an incredible loyalty to him and I say, and I say that in in a positive way the fact that she really does love him and shows that love for him throughout the season I think is a real is a real bonus and a real positive for Marie's character I yeah I agree completely it's definitely her her best season yet and I think that, you know, the the scene where she's talking to him in the shower, I think, was very uh, powerful. It was a great look into uh, lens into where Hank was that season, but also the fact that Marie wasn't shaken by it. And you realize she probably deals with this kind of stuff on a day-to-day basis with Hank. Uh, and to show that she does have, I, I, I want to say some control, but I don't want to make it sound like in a manipulative way. Like, your typical, your typical marriage sort of, like, handle on things. Like, you read your partner and you know how to best handle and maneuver them um and yeah I, I do think she she loves him i think she loves uh skylar and her family and uh again we talk about how skylar offers to help pay for all the treatments and i also thought it was very clever that now they can be more open with their money situation with the two of them because skylar on the spot thinks of uh portraying walt as somebody who had a gambling problem as versus a drug dealer and so that can help explain away why he has so much money to help pay for these treatments and everything else that uh, whatever else comes to the hospital bills that he's going to have to incur because damn insurance company won't do their jobs. Right. And yeah, I mean, I think that's all that could really be said about Hank and Marie and what they were able to do with those characters. We get a little bit with Walt Jr., as he is very frustrated with his mom and the way that she is treating uh, his father, we kind of 
Um, the the raising of money kind of goes away, and there there are multiple mentions of Walt Jr. and his driving skills and him learning to drive and be on his own a little bit more. Kevin, is there any way for because I'm just going to put this out there, and I don't want you to necessarily respond in either the affirmative or negative, but the way that they are talking about Walt's, Walt Jr.'s driving, it leads me to believe that there has to be some sort of payoff coming. Well, I'll tell you this, and this is something that I learned from the podcast. It's something they w- wanted to film, but didn't because they knew it would end up on the cutting room floor. Uh, so there's also talk. Uh, well, I'll say this. So end of season or season end of episode 12 has Walt hitting the two drug dealers. Jesse was about to shoot and telling Jesse to run the beginning of episode 13 was going to be a shot of the bottom of, of Walt's car in motion. And you were going to see blood or maybe some other debris or something from the two people he hits. And it's going, you know, fairly fast. It's moving and you see all this at the bottom of the car. And it was going to zoom up and you see, it's Walt Jr. driving the car, taking his driving test. And he was going to say something like, oh, you know, how did I do? And the driver's going to be like, well, you know, I really shouldn't have even let you take your test in a car with, you know, in this condition that it is. Uh, but then he would end up passing his driving test. So it was going to start with you thinking that maybe there's like a, a either a high speed chase or Walt is driving really quickly to get away from something. And then, nope, it's Walt Jr. taking his driving test. Because uh, he even mentions something to his dad about wanting to use his car for the driving test because it breaks better or something like that. So that would have been a nice payoff. But wasn't even filmed. Just something that they thought w- was going to get left on the cutting room floor. So uh, I- I'll leave you with that. That's a real shame. Because that actually, that is where that is kind of the direction that I was thinking that they were going. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. It's just something that I, I either they looked at what they had written for the episode and just realized, oh, gosh, this really is not going to make the cut or it just doesn't work with everything else we have. It just, they they fortunately just had to drop it. But that would have been such a cool way to open the, the episode, I thought. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. And now I'm kind of sad that we did not get that. But I think that just about gets us through the characters and some of the major uh, major characters, at least. Is there anything else that you wanted to discuss? Any any other characters we have not yet mentioned or any individual scenes? Well, I did want to mention the cousins. Uh, they are two Honduran actors. However, when they when the casting director was finding them, they found Luis, who he had been an actor, and they realized he had a twin brother, but his twin brother, Daniel, had never acted before. So Breaking Bad is his very first acting credit as one of the cousins on the show. And if you look at his IMDb, he's gone on to do plenty of other things. So casting was able to find uh, them, but really only one of them, and then cast the other, and then it kicked off a whole career for these two brothers who are now acting together. Um, And then uh, episode three is in memory to Sherry Rhodes, who she was a casting director and like a someone who would find their filming locations for the show. And she died of breast cancer. Um, so they put the show memoriam and she actually got to act in the show. She's in that episode. I think it is still the third episode where the cousins are at the bingo hall and they take the van away from the woman in the wheelchair so that Hector could be putting it and transported to the meeting with Gus. 
that's her. That's Sherry Rhodes who's acting. And apparently, like, that's her one and only acting role. She wanted to act her whole life and never got the chance to. And yet Breaking Bad was it. And then she unfortunately passed from breast cancer. But that to me was a very touching story that she got to live her dream of acting in a role and, and a, a, a pretty interesting role, too, uh, before passing away, unfortunately, of cancer. They uh, put that episode in her memory. And you mentioned the uh, the cousins. I loved the cousin slowly crawling out of the hospital bed, even though he has no legs and going after Waltz. I think it's, it's very intense. It's, it's weird that there's tension in that moment because Walt is very clearly surrounded by all these police officers, but for some reason it still feels like Walt is in danger just because of the look in his eyes and the fact that even though he is bleeding out and could very easily die, he is still wanting to go after Walt and kill him. Well, and also to me, we go back to the very first episode, the opening where the two of them are crawling on their forearms. Those guys have serious forearm strength. So even with no legs, there's a lot the cousin could do to Walt just using his arms. Mm-hmm. And there is something that I did want to mention. There is a note that I put in here. I wanted to talk about the use of ambient noises because I, I don't think that there is a show that uses ambient noises better than this one. Uh, I think it starts with Hector's bell. I think anytime you hear that bell, you know that shit's about to go down. But just the way that they use even ringing cell phones and random noises from the hospital, I, it's just it's something worth marveling because it it really does help to continue to establish tension throughout and to really make you hyper aware of just everything that is going on. And I think it's very easy to forget about noise and the way that can be, it can be used. But I, I think that's something else that the show does really effectively is using ambient noise to get across the storylines and the tension that's going on. Yeah. That, and that's something that honestly, I didn't pay too much attention to, but now that you mentioned, it, I'm like, yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, Hector, uh, Hector, the, the bell ringing is probably everyone's favorite because it is such a distinct and specific bell, too. Yeah, and something that I think they keep purposely vague in season three is what exactly is the relationship between Gus and the, and the Salamanca family. Boy, let me tell you, that is definitely going to become clear next season. Uh, and uh, I'm very excited for you to see that that moment. Yeah, uh, I am very excited to get into seasons four and five, which if this keeps going, we are going to be able to do this. Uh, <laughs> we'll be recording uh, in advance, I guess, pretty pretty easily. Yeah, yeah, shouldn't shouldn't be a problem as I tug my collar saying that. Uh, as the world ends, this is what we're doing is we are recording podcasts. This is how we are contributing to social distancing and all that jazz. Yeah, ex- yeah let's let's think of it that way. We're saving the world by podcasting. One podcast at a time. One podcast at a time. All right, Kevin. I believe that is all we have to discuss for season three, but I know you do other things for the real world and other things on the internet, so go ahead and plug away. That I do. So uh, the one thing I want to mention for the real world uh, is currently I have an Adventure Time podcast called Flooping the Pig with myself and uh, Justin Houston Bragarun as the hosts. Our entire archive of episodes we recorded in 2014 and 2015 is currently being posted. And when those are done, we are going to make it a completed project and finish out all of the Cartoon Network episodes of Adventure Time. And surely we will be back when the HBO Max stuff comes out. Uh, But I do have two other completed podcasts here on uh, The Real World. First, I have 
from Broadcast Depth, my podcast about the television series Lost, which me and my friend Ben Lundy did. All six seasons, plus stuff like the video game, alternate reality game, and a bunch of other stuff was covered on that podcast. Totally done. Go back and watch Lost during this hiatus. Plenty of time to do that and listen to our episodes as you go along. And you can also rewatch Veronica Mars as Jerome and I did a podcast about all of the seasons, the movies, the books, everything Veronica Mars has been covered in. We'll see if that ever comes back, but if it's not, that's also a completed project. And uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at K413, I suppose. So, Kevin, how are we supposed to watch Lost when Evangeline Lilly has been canceled? Ah, you're right. Gosh, that makes it hard. Well, if it makes it it any easier, she's also very hateable on Lost, so you can channel your rage towards her stupidity in that method. How's that? I know we've canceled a lot of things over the last few months, but even Killian Lilly probably should go right to the top of the list among other celebrities who have made and said stupid things during this crisis. Just just stay away from Aaron Paul is all I'm saying. I'm not Aaron Paul. Uh, who am I thinking of? Uh, Ant-Man. Paul, Paul. Paul. Paul Rudd. Yeah, stay away from Paul Rudd. I, uh, I somehow I put Aaron Paul and Paul Rudd together in my head. What a duo. What a duo that would be. Uh, the guy who has who never ages and a guy who maybe isn't aging as well. <laughs> yeah, if you've seen Westworld, you, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But look at us. Look at us, Kevin. Who would have thought? thought? <laughs> All right, tell me what you do on this stupid website. Stupid website? Matt Waters is insulted by the fact that you call okay. this a stupid website. Tell me, tell me the stupid things you do on this not stupid website. Wow. Wow. Uh, so we reviewed both Ghost Riders. That's pretty stupid, right? There, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you sound offended, but your, uh, your track record recently proves me in the right. So we have reviewed a bunch of bad Marvel movies, including uh, Daredevil starring Ben Affleck, featuring a cameo by Kevin Smith. I know that's another, that's another banger, of, uh, a personal favorite of yours. Uh, two Ghost Riders, Three Punishers, and the 1990 Captain America. Some of those even went into the pile of shame. If you watch the movies, it would not surprise you to find out which ones. As we are going next week, we will be starting and going back to 2019, where things are going to get a little better, as we are going to review Glass, Shazam, and then we are going straight back to the bottom of the barrel to review the 2019 Hellboy and Dark Phoenix. Wow, man. Are you are you sure you... you... It sounds like you don't want to make it through the quarantine. I mean, I I have regrets about saving all of this for the end, but here we are. Here we are, Kevin. Look at us. I guess I guess a distraction is a distraction. It is, and there's also season four and season five of Breaking Bad that I will be watching amidst all of this uh, all of this crap. That's right, and El Camino. When that's all done, we will be doing the movie as well. Yes, uh, so that's very exciting for Kevin. My name is Jerome. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast this month. We will talk to you again next month for season four. Bitch. Bitch.